welcome to TTM Cast, your sports collectibles podcast, sponsored by SportsCardForum.com, the ultimate in sports card trading and discussion, and sponsored by Diamond Service Grading, fast, accurate, transparent card grading for today's collectors, and sponsored by SportsCollectorsDaily.com. For sports collecting news 24-7, visit SportsCollectorsDaily.com. And now, here's our host, Jeff Baker. Hello, everybody, and welcome to TTM Cast, your sports collectibles podcast. We talk TTM cards, autographs, collecting, and a whole lot more. It is season four, episode 21. It is Memorial Day weekend, May 29, 2022. And guess what, guys? You're listening to nationally ranked sports card podcast. That's right. TTM cast. My name is Jeff Baker. I am your host for the program talking to you from Boston, Massachusetts, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host from Dallas, Texas, Mr. Drew Pelto. Hey, Drew. Hey, good to be here as always. We love talking TTM. We love talking collectibles. Got a lot to talk about today. Drew, why don't you let people know about our radio show? Yeah, we are on the Sports Map Radio Network. Our show is called the Sports Collectors Club. You can find us now twice on weekends, two different days instead. We used to be just Sundays alone twice there, but now we are on Sundays, 10 a.m. Eastern, or Saturdays, 10 a.m. Eastern, Sundays, 7 a.m. Eastern. If you don't have a Sports Map Radio affiliate in your area, go and check out their online app, or you can check out our website for the show to catch any back episodes at sportscollectorsclub.com. Well, Drew, we got Memorial Day weekend, the kickoff of summer here in the Northeast. I know you, you've you been sweltering in the <laughs> high yeah. 80s and 90s in Dallas, but here in uh, the Northeast, we're just starting to get into summer, so we're very happy about that. Um, we had, I want to just wish my son a happy 26th birthday. He was his birthday this past Monday, so getting old. When, you ki- when your kids are into the mid-20s already, you're starting to get old, you know? Yep, yep. <laughs> And then last night was a wah, wah, wah. My, Celt- my Celtics uh, did not win game six. It was a tough game. They, they came back. They were up by three with a couple minutes left. And then, then uh, Jimmy Butler just killed us. So we're going to game seven on, on Sunday. We're recording this on Saturday morning. So hopefully uh, Sunday, when you guys are listening to this, uh, well, my Celtics can pull this thing out <laughs> Sunday night and, and we can talk NBA finals next week because Golden State and, uh, and Steph Curry's back in the, in the finals should be, it should be a good finals either, either team getting in. Don't you think Drew? Yeah, I would think so. I mean, I hate Golden State because you know, they repeatedly destroy the Cavs, but I mean, you got to give them credit. I mean, it was a team that finished, you know, dead last almost a couple of years ago. They're now bouncing back to the finals again. Yeah, and the hockey's been very good. All the the, the, the hockey's we're getting into uh, what we'll, we'll be in we're in quarterfinals right now. We'll be in, in uh, semifinals next next uh, in the next coming week. Uh, and Drew will talk a little about that in our uh, TTM cast stamp for approval. But uh, you had a pretty good week uh, uh, graphing on Wednesday, huh? I did. Yeah, and I'm actually going to be going out uh, later today again too. It's supposed to be 97 today, so I'm not really looking forward to that. But uh... Yeah, Wednesday, they had a doubleheader in Frisco because uh, Tuesday's game got rained out, so they pushed uh, both games into Wednesday. So left work a couple hours early and went out there, but had a uh, pretty solid showing there. It was the San Antonio Missions in town to play against Frisco. Only went for the Missions, didn't stick around for anybody for Frisco afterward at all because, you know, midweek, I'm not going to be out till 10 o'clock at night. But got uh, Estuary Ruiz, uh, Tirso Ornelas, Corey Howell, pitching coach Pete Zamora, Thomas Eshelman, Shane Robinson, Kevin Copps, uh, Domingo Leba and a few, uh, wait, also uh, Nolan Watson 
and a few guys that got sent down on injury rehab assignments they had from the Padres down there. So uh, Michael Baez was there, Adrian Morajan was there, and uh, Denelson uh, Lamet, who was, you know, like fourth, I think, in the Cy Young voting a couple of years ago. So got all those guys. And then uh, Ferguson Jenkins was the alumni signer they had there. So I was able to uh, get him on three cards total. It was, uh, they, they limited you to one item per person, but you could go through the line as many times as you wanted to. So I was able to go through three times on there. And I got to say, also, while I was in line, I talked to a guy who has, uh, he's, he said he actually read your uh, articles there on SCD. So uh, we're getting out there. Our name, our name is out there for sure. Yep. Thank you guys. Uh, you know, and we want to thank, we've had a ton of new listeners in the, in the past month and we want to thank you guys. Uh, if you're a new listener, welcome. If you've been with us since, since uh, day one, we appreciate that as well. Um, Drew, why don't you let people know where they can find, find us and, and send us a, uh, an email if they want to send us a question or, or uh, let us know how bad we are. <laughs> of course, if you want to contact us, you can do so at uh, ttmcast at yahoo.com. Definitely the easiest way to reach us. Send us some info on the text line as well, 978-729-0662. Send us your questions, your comments, and we'll uh, try to get to those during, uh, during segments here on the show. Very cool. Well, we have a really fun show this week. Uh, this one, we're going to take the knife out of Drew's back. I'm sorry, Drew, but we got uh, Rich Carlos. Rich Carlos, of course, p- uh, kicked for the Denver Broncos. He also kicked for the Minnesota Vikings and the Detroit Lions in the last year. And he's uh, famous for uh, kicking the game-winning field goal in overtime against Drew's Cleveland Browns in the 1986 AFC Championship uh, game. And, of course, that was the uh, the drive, right? That was the 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 John Elway drive. And <laughs> it was, it was a, 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 a stab in the heart to the Cleveland Brown fans, but Rich Carlos talks about uh, kicking, kicking. He was a barefoot kicker. He also talks about, um, de- you know, dealing with autographs and signing autographs through the mail and also talks about that famous kick. So stick around for that. Rich, Rich Carlos is a, a great guest. Next week we have Jeff Hoffer. Hofferer. I'm going to get this one right. One of these days, Jeff Hoffer. He is the director of marketing for Panini, which is going to be great. We're going to talk to Jeff about everything that's going on with Panini and everything that's going on in the hobby. And we'll probably learn what's going on with uh, Panini at the National. And it's great. Panini, obviously, is, is one of the, the the big two, a big three in terms of uh, card producers nowadays. And uh, we're, we're going to get it. We're going to uh, really dig deep into what's happening with Panini with Jeff next week. But this week we have Rich Carlos and Drew. We have all our regular segments, right? We do indeed. We're going to have Baker's Dozen, where we're going to talk about all the upcoming uh, most recent hobby news. We've got Les Wolf on with his More From Less segment, talking about how to, I believe this one would be, what, how to care for and protect your collection. Yep. We're going to have uh, Making the Grade, talking about all things related to card grading. We've got our stamp of approval, where uh, Jeff and I are just going to give our our two thumbs up to something here from the past week, or just uh, something that's on our minds. Of course, there's the Vern Rap Minute, where we cover any deaths in the world of celebrity, politics, sports, music, anything like that. And, of course, the reason why we started this whole thing and why you're here, our TTM returns. Yeah, we had a pretty good week returns, both of us. Guys, please send us uh, feedback. Let us know how we're doing. If you have a question for Drew and I or even for Les Wolf, send it to our email address, which is ttmcast at yahoo.com. It's ttmcast at yahoo.com. Or we've got our text line, which is 978-729-0662. Well, I think that's all uh, the housekeeping, Drew. Let's get right into the show. We're getting right into Baker's Dozen. Baker's Dozen, sponsored by SportsCollectorsDaily.com. 
Smart collectors turn to Sports Collectors Daily to stay up to date. From new releases to incredible collections hitting the auction block, news from inside the business of sports collectibles, and much more, Sports Collectors Daily has it, all with no subscription cost. SC Daily also delivers a live look at the most watched sports card auctions on eBay for every sport. Sign up to get the headlines in your email for free or just visit the website whenever you like. With 16,000 stories in the archive going back 16 years, there is always plenty to read at sportscollectorsdaily.com. Baker's Dozen is uh, our new segment. It's a summary of what's been going on in the hobby. And Drew mentioned earlier, uh, you know, just check out my article on sportscollectorsdaily.com. It's sportscollectorsdaily.com. It posts usually every Monday or, or Tuesday morning. And it is an article on TTM autograph collecting and tips. And uh, Drew always gives us uh, some tips in there as well. He, he's helping out. So check out my article, weekly article, every week at sportscollectorsdaily.com. Drew, we're gonna, we have some auction news to talk about. Uh, a 1933 Gaudi Babe Ruth, it was a PSA 8, sold for eight over $900,000 in the memory lane auction. So, uh, you know, these high-grade cards, especially the, the, the Gaudis, which are really beautiful, um, memory lane always seems to come up with them. And, and I know they, they found a collection of them. And, uh, you know, uh, PSA 8, 1933 Gaudi Babe Ruth went for $900,000. Wow. Keep an eye out and make sure you don't have one just, you know, sitting around somewhere there. Just yeah, your, gran your grandfather might have one in a, in a cigar box someplace. Exactly. Well, Golden's Elite Auction also had a, a very big week and some uh, real nice showings there. They had the 1966 Finals Game 7 jersey worn by Bill Russell up for auction. Close to a million dollars on that final uh, final sale price. 966000 was the final sale price there. Another big jersey they had there was uh, Julius Irving, Dr. J's rookie Virginia Squires ABA jersey, autographed by him. Over half a million dollars on that one. 522000 being the final sale price there. And for those who are on a little bit more of a budget and want to keep it closer to the quarter million dollar range, and uh, for those who prefer cards, they had the 1952 Topps Mickey Mantle graded an SGC7. So pretty nice. Not the highest one out there for sure, but still very nice sounding copy right there. $264,000, the final sale price there. So, I mean, you combine those three items together and you're dealing with close to $2 million in sales just off three items. Sad to say, but if I had an extra $2 million lying around, I think I'd buy all three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know which one I'd want more, but that, that's pretty cool. One other uh, auction item, a 1986 flare sticker, which is number one, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. It's a PSA 10. It's one of 14 that have been graded as a PSA 10, sold for $240,000 in a PWCC auction. So it was an online auction. 1986 flare sticker. I know they had some centering, centering issues on, on, on that one. And, uh, you know, uh, only 14 PSA 10s and it went for $240,000. So, uh, there's a lot of money in the hobby still, guys. The hobby, our hobby is healthy. Well, it definitely is money, and money unfortunately leads to legal issues as well. And uh, Cowboys wide receiver C.D. Lamb threatened to be sued by Leaf this past week after refusing to sign some cards for them. And unfortunately, that happens a lot with guys. Uh, they'll get sent cards to sign, and they just sit on them for sometimes months or even years at a time. I know with uh, Panini, they had I think it was Julio Jones a few years ago took him like eight years to sign stuff from his rookie season. They finally got it back from him, but CD lamb threatened to be sued by leaf. And finally I uh, came through with some autographs for them. So uh, 
yeah, don't don't get too don't don't sit there and get too lazy on those cards out there, players. If you're uh, listening to this at all, but uh, it's good to see though that they're at least taking it seriously and saying, "Look, enough's enough. Sign your stuff. It doesn't take that long. Let's get this done here." And so there you go. C.D. Lamb threatened to be sued by Leaf, but able to uh, hold off on it by holding up his end of the deal. Yeah, I mean he's a young kid. He's only in second year. He's only played two years so far, and uh, he's a hell of a player, hell hell of a talent. But as soon as I think they mentioned. Uh, lawsuit he folded like, like a house of cards and said okay okay i'll sign him i'll sign him so good job cd and yeah it, you know if you agree to sign the the cards just sign them it's it's not that big a deal you know right just if you if you don't want to sign cards don't take the money don't agree to it and and, and take it from there but if you yeah. agree to sign the cards you got to stick up to your end of the the deal well i want to just congratulate um our friends at buy sports cards it's a marketplace um, it's kind of an alternative to eBay. They got they were launched in March of 2019, and they have hit 100 1 million cards in their marketplace. It's the first marketplace in 13 years since COMC to hit a million cards. So that's kind of cool. It's an alternative to eBay. It's check it out. It's buysportscards.com and uh, a million cards in their marketplace. So it's a, a nice alternative to eBay. I may need to check them out because uh, there are times when like buying through sport lots where I'm having trouble finding guys that I need for uh, games upcoming here. So definitely sounds like a good, uh, good uh, possible option right there. Yeah. They have a ton of stuff. I checked it out the other day and they, they do have, they do have a, a lot of cards, obviously a million cards, which, is, which is kind of cool. So check them out. It's by sportscard.com. Uh, Drew, we have some more signers for the national. We do indeed. Several names have been added um, on the paid signers. There's uh, Paul Pierce, NBA great added to the list there this week and four big names in the football world with Ed Reed, Eric Dickerson, Tony Dorsett, and Michael Irvin. I want to say also um, not confirmed yet, but there is a rumor of a big name hockey person to be added at some point here in the next couple of weeks. There's a uh, card shop in, I believe Philadelphia or near Philadelphia is taking consignments on this guy saying he's going to be at the national, but hasn't been added yet. Not going to say who it is just yet. Cause I want to make sure of it before we go putting it out there. But, uh, of what I've heard, it sounds like it's going to be a VIP name, which is hopeful because they added two more names to the VIP list that are a bit lackluster. Don Money, who, of course, you know, multi-time all-star at least, former Philly, former Brewer, and killer of your Red Sox, as we talked about on the uh, radio show there earlier this yep. week, and also added to the list for the, <coughs> excuse me, for the VIP signers this week, Carl Nelson. Now, if you're not a New York Giants fan, then I challenge you to tell me anything about Carl Nelson. Because, I mean, I have a friend who is a Giants fan, and I mentioned him, oh, yeah, Carl Nelson's signing, and he goes, I don't know who that is. And I'm like, okay. So I looked it up. He's a former offensive lineman for them. Apparently he's a fan favorite of the uh, Giants fans out there, but not a guy I've ever heard of in my life. I think he played like 50 games approximately. But, hey, he's going to be one of our free signers out there, so – Yay, I'm I'm gonna have to become his biggest fan now if he's gonna be signing for us there. But yeah, he did win a Super Bowl. Exactly. Yes, he was, yeah, 86 team there won a Super Bowl 21. But uh, autograph tickets did go on sale this past week on the 26th. They went up, so you can get those now. The uh, national, of course, is gonna be on July 27th through the 31st in Atlantic City. Jeff and I will be out there. Hope to see you all out there too. You can find our info on the show at nsccshow.com. Yeah, and, and Drew, well, we're we're less than sixty days away, so we're two months two months away from the national. We're very excited about that, and we'll we'll have some national uh, announcements for our, 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 around the radio show and podcast. So we have, we have some stuff that we'll be doing at the national as well. Uh, just some show news: uh, There's a sports card expo in Toronto next weekend. It's June second 
through the 5th. It's uh, sportscardexpotoronto.com. They have all sorts of guests, including Teoscar Hernandez from the Toronto Blue Jays. I don't think he's ever signed before, so that's kind of cool to to have him out there. He's a pretty good player. Yarmid Yager, uh, Curtis Joseph, Bob Gainey, Pete Mahovlich, also and all sorts of other uh, hockey guys. I know uh, Brad Park's going to be there, and Don Ori from the Bruins is going to be there. There's all sorts of hockey guys. So check it out. It's Sports Card Expo in Toronto. If you're in the Toronto or, or Buffalo area, uh, it might be a good take. It is June 2nd through the 5th, and it, you can find out everything at sportscardexpotoronto.com. We have some new releases to let you guys know about uh, that came out on May 25th, the 2020-21. That's right, guys. We're saying 2020-21. This is kind of the last release, I think, of, of last year. It's an upper deck stature hockey. Uh, there was all sorts of problems, I know, getting uh, paper, right, to, to, mm-hmm. to print because of COVID. So they're finally releasing. I think this is probably the last release. It's 2020-21 upper deck stature hockey you get one on card or auto or autograph uh, patch one base rookie two veteran uh base or or legends one parallel two uh well, i mean it's two parallels one insert and one additional rookie or numbered card all for about 200 bucks uh kind of a high, little high end for upper deck but um you know the cards are they're nice looking cards and uh you know check it out it's 2020 21 upper deck stature hockey for about 200 bucks uh moving into the soccer world we've got a, a big premier league release coming out here from panini it's their 22 21 22 panini mosaic set 10 packs 15 cards per pack and you're going to get out of that one autograph five base silver cards 15 mosaic parallels and 20 insert or parallels or insert or insert parallels i should say Sounds like a pretty good uh, good amount of stuff right there. 285 bucks. that's going to run you for that. So not a really a bad price at all for something uh, something that good. No, the Panini Mosaic's really a, a nice brand. And, uh, you know, if you're into soccer and that gives you some TTM fodder, right? These guys yeah. are, these guys, the soccer guys are usually pretty good signers. So uh, check it out. I'm, I'm not much of a soccer guy, but, you know, the, some of these uh, secondary sports, you know, the soccer and wrestling and, and uh, UFC fighting and all that, they're very popular nowadays. So uh, the 2021-22 Panini Mosaic Premier League Soccer, which is kind of a, a cool uh, new release for $285. Well, guys, that wraps up Baker's Dozen for the week. Next up, uh, we're going to have our interview with, with Les Wolf. Well, we, we had the, talk, uh, the opportunity, to obviously, to talk to Les Wolf every other week. Les is an industry uh, legend and, and a hobby legend. He's been collecting autographs for over 60 years. And uh, each week, Les, each, other, each time we have him on the show, he gives us kind of a, um, a, we, a tap into his brain on a subject. And this week, we talked to Les about how to uh, preserve and protect your collection. So uh, please enjoy my interview with, with Les Wolf. And now it's time for more from Les with hobby legend, Les Wolf. All right, guys, it's time for my favorite segment, my favorite segment of the whole entire show. We're talking to the expert, the legend, Mr. Les Wolf. It's time for more from Les. We are going to talk about protecting and preserving your collection and your memorabilia. Welcome, Les. Hey, welcome. How are you doing, Jeff? How was your, how was your weekend? How's your week been? Very good. You know what? My uh, daughter graduated from college a couple weeks ago, and my wife actually went down to Atlanta to go pick her up. So I, I get the house to myself. <laughs> so I've been playing with cards. I've been cleaning up. I've been organizing. It's not too bad. 
<laughs> living the dream. <laughs> living the dream is right. Well, Les, today we're going to talk about something that's really important, right? Protecting your collection, protecting your collectibles. Um, you know, that I think, you know, we've talked before that there's so many factors out there that can damage uh, something that you either invested a lot of money in or has potential to be worth a lot of money. And what are some of the steps people should take? Well, I think first and foremost, you know, we've already gone over collecting and investing, basically investing your time and money and efforts and making a decision on what to collect. But often enough, you know, we'll go to the stadium and we'll, you know, hand the ball to a player in actuality, we should be handing the ball, holding the seams of the baseball with a glove. So this way the oil in our fingers don't get all over that ball. I mean, often enough, you know, you see collections where people have gotten them in person or they've gotten them at shows and there's, there's all kind of yellow spots all over the baseballs. What's that from, Les? Why, why does that happen? Well, one of the biggest uh, problems believe it or not, is the fact that people touch, like to touch the baseball. You know, like, you know, when, you know, think of a pitcher, you know, he's got to loosen up the baseball. He's got to rub it in his hand so he gets the feel of the ball. You know, sometimes some collectors do that. You know, they're holding the ball, waiting for someone to come over to them or to throw it to someone. So it's definitely going to be handled by the fingers of the ball. And, you know, you're not going to get a player, you're not going to yell out to a player, please sign this ball, throw it to them and hope that they're wearing a glove, you know, a special glove, not a baseball glove to sign it. So that that happens a lot. And also another thing, believe it or not, the fact if you don't use the proper pen and the proper instrument that you're getting signed, it's going to ruin the item. For example, if you're going to get a baseball signed, you want to you don't want to get it in a blue Sharpie or a gold or a silver or anything like that, even though it'll look really cool for a while, eventually that ink is going to seep into the leather. The same thing with, with a football. Uh, what I find with photos, I know gold and silver is pretty popular with people, with collectors to get them signed, but I stopped getting eight by 10 signing them. Only, only the fact is that if you put it in a plastic sheet in, in your book, it's going to come off. No matter what you do, you hold, you close the book, it's going to come off. And the same thing also sometimes with Sharpies. That's why I'm a big uh, proponent of the Stadler pen, because I haven't had any real problems of, with that. Now, Les, I've seen um, vintage balls, a lot of times with the Babe Ruth balls. It almost looks like those old balls, people that put like uh, shellac on it or some type of coating on the ball. Uh, what, was, what was that all about? And is that kind of frowned upon nowadays? Back in the day, the, the nail polish and shellac people would, would put on the baseballs to ha to hope that the signatures would stay longer. So you see that heavy brown coating. Yeah. It, it depends on who does. I mean, also, the, you know, for a while back in the 70s, we were using Krylon clear plastic spray on a baseball to hopefully keep that signature there. But the fact of the matter is, if you put that, put that ball in a, in a holder that's not a UV protected holder, keep it on your shelf and have it facing the, your windows or the wrong lighting, that autograph is going to fade no matter what you do. So, you know, it's, it's, it's placement of where you put the stuff, the proper placement. Like if you put your, your beautiful 16 by 20 of Mickey Mantle, Muhammad Ali or whoever on a wall where it's facing a window, it's going to fade. 
you know, if that window, if you don't have a blinds on there to protect it, it's going to fade. Like I, like I've said previously, I had a Fortune 500 client of mine. I mean, come to his office to show him some Jeter stuff and a whole bunch of Yankee stuff on the wall. And because he didn't have anything protecting that window, you know, offices usually have that big, nice glass window, yep. with no shades or blinds. Well, he, I told him, I said, you lost like $10,000 of stuff on this wall. So, you know, it's a, a lot of it is placement in your well, house. How, how do how, you know, well, no one wants to keep their stuff in a draw someplace, right? You want to, you want to show it off. So if I had a have a nice baseball I want to show off or a nice basketball or even a nice photo, how how do I show it off? Uh, you know, because every just about everyone room has a window some way or another. You know. Well, basically, you want to put a UV protection on that window, so when the rays come in, it's not going to fade anything. You want to have the proper lighting, also UV lighting, LED lighting. You want to make sure the temperature is not 95 degrees. You know, you don't, you know, you don't want to open up the windows and have it nice and cool in the house, but you know, now to keep it between 68 and 70 degrees. So does no, air conditioning affect it at all, or does um... the the only way air conditioning can really affect it is if the condensation and the water dripping on the stuff. But I, I like I tell people, you want to you want to keep it up, keep it on the walls, but make sure there's no piping in that on the, in above. I mean, I learned the hard way. There was a, a a toilet seal broke over a bathroom, which is over a closet, and I lost a lot of money on that. So, in main another important thing is to insure your collection when you're protecting. You want to insure it. You want to have an appraiser such as myself, or or someone that's that's. Uh, that's taking the classes that's an accredited appraiser to tell you that. But I find more people when I go to their homes to buy their collections or look at their collections, they just have it haphazardly. One of the most prominent collectors in Philadelphia had millions of dollars worth of Jersey sitting on a floor, no protection. If you want to put stuff on the floor, make sure you put it in an acid-free plastic tub and i tell people do two or three tubs so the probability if there's a flood or or, or or some kind of water gets in there okay it'll get through the first tub it's not going to get through two or three tubs that easily so you want to protect that stuff and if and most people i find keep everything in the basement and the basement is okay as long as you have a dehumidifier you keep it regulated and the worst spot even though like the that uncle left, uh, was the uncle with the card, the big card collection. I forgot his name that passed away. He had everything in the attic. He was very fortunate because the attic, I find, there's more probability of anything getting damaged in the attic and in the basement, especially the attic because you could have a leak that you don't know about and it doesn't affect your house. Or like I've had squirrels in my attic or you could have anything, flies, insects, you name it. So you... and most of the time addicts do not have temperature control in there so they're gonna they're gonna be extremely hot i i think i spoke one uh briefly about it to you off the air uh, i had a collection of a guy in connecticut major collection of hall of fame placards photos baseballs and unfortunately he was on a sixth floor of a seven-story building no air conditioning he was a heavy smoker so the fact that he smoked the tar, you know, the, the yellow stains on photos and on baseballs. But the heat factor, I said to him, I think the guy's name was Terry. I said, Terry, you lost a ton of money here because 
the, plas the plaques were sticking together. The plastic sheets, they were melted together. So, you know, the, the worst thing you could possibly do is just haphazardly put it away. I stopped using some plastic sheets for, for my photos. I'd rather keep them in a box and look at them every now and then. In, in, a, in a, you know, like I said, an acid-free plastic uh, box, you can look at it. But if you want to look at things, keep out some of your prime stuff and, you know, have it properly framed. Another big factor is, you know, you go to Michael's or you go to any framer, they'll charge you a couple hundred dollars to frame something. But are they really framing it the museum way? Are they glazing the photo? Are they having acid-free mat, acid non-glare glass? UV protected, museum quality. Are they doing all that? Chances are they're telling you yes, but they're not. Is so, there any way, Les, is there any way to um, revert the, the damage that somebody's already had in, in terms of, of, say you had something that's really special to you. You know, you had a Muhammad Ali uh, photo that you had autographed, but for some reason it got damaged by water. Is, is there a restoration people out there that, that can uh, fix um, these things? I had that happen when I had the flood. Yes, there is. I mean, you got to freeze everything, and you know, you really once this this signature has been has been wet and everything. In my opinion, it, it's it's garbage. Okay. You, you really there's not much you can do. If it's artwork, you could always have it possibly restored. I mean, I tell people if you're buying a poster, an on-site poster of a big boxing match. What I usually tell people to do is get it linen backed, so it's you know it's on it's on linen and you get that frame. It looks spectacular. Don't just leave it the way it is. And 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 the worst enemy that we have is the fact that we like to see it and feel it and touch it. We're we're <laughs> kind of a we're kind of a collectible industry that people are going to look at it. They want to touch it. I mean that's why the encapsulations by by Beckett and PSA and when JSA was doing it is very important. But an interesting fact about that, I, I spoke to someone high up there in PSA, none of them are RV, uh, UV protected. So if you have that card autographed and you have, you're showing it off and the sunlight gets to it, or the, the, the uh, lighting in your house gets to it, you're basically screwed. So, yeah, I mean, you gotta kind of, the, the, the pro, I think part of the problem is less is that when people acquire some of this stuff, it do, isn't worth anything. You know what I mean? It's just might be something that's valuable to them, but doesn't have the uh, the monetary value. But you know, over time, it gains monetary value. So people aren't treating it like uh, with kick gloves because it's just like, oh, it's just a picture that I I got at the ballpark, uh, you know, or I got an autograph of. of so-and-so and you know wade boggs and he was a nobody and he never signed autographs and i just liked him and then all of a sudden you know 20 years later becomes a hall of famer and he doesn't sign anymore then then it becomes valuable i think that's part of the problem don't you well you never know you know the haskins the quarterback from the steelers I and mean, that yeah. was terrible you really never never know that's why you need to protect everything like a, a friend a good friend of mine that passed away I mean, to me, he did the cardinal sin. He would get autograph album pages when he didn't have his photos or anything. He'd get them back in front and write all over them. So when you get them, when you get them uh, encapsulated, I mean, it's nice, but it's too busy. So 
you, you gotta you gotta think simple right i mean you and i spoke i think last week a couple weeks ago about uh getting baseball signed by multiple players and multiple team multiple guys and it's it's really uh more valuable and people want just the the simple ball the, the mickey Mantle signed by mickey Mantle, and they don't want you know the tony trash and all these other guys that no one no one cares about they just want mickey Mantle. true i think um i think anytime you're collecting anything you you have to take care of everything not just the, the better stuff because some of the lesser stuff i found in my collecting days could end up being worth more than the, the better stuff yeah because you never know exactly i mean I look at Thurman Munson and never thought anything in the world would happen to that guy. He was a, he was built like an animal. I mean, he was built like a football player. You know, unfortunately, the plane crash or Kobe Bryant. You know, who would have thought? You know, somebody that young and that you know that good, you know, would die in a plane crash. So you never ever know. So it's 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 life. So I I don't like to to dwell on the. On the, on the unfortunateness of, of these great athletes passing away, what I like to dwell dwell on is really, you know, you spent the time, you spent your, your time collecting it and investing to get that stuff. Why can't you spend more time protecting it? And I think, I think you know, if anybody gets anything out of this, you know, this, you know, few minutes that I'm talking about it, it's just think about protecting it. You know, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to be around forever and you want to hand it down to your kids or one day you want to sell it. You want to protect it. We're speaking with Les Wolf from Les Wolf Sports LLC. You can, uh, if you have a question for Les, you can reach out to him at lwolf1823 at aol.com or you can send me an email and I'll send it off to Les at ttmcast at yahoo.com. We're talking about protecting and preserving your uh, collection, your collectibles. And uh, Les, you mentioned uh, insurance and I had uh, somebody from one of the insurance companies on when I first started the podcast four or five years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, are there are more are there more uh, reputable insurance companies people that handle just uh, collectibles or can you just go through your regular homeowners insurance or what do you re- what do you recommend? What what I recommend a lot of people don't realize this. If you go to your local card store and the guy says, "Okay, let me write up an appraisal," but in actuality, he's not really writing an appraisal. He's just saying, this is what I think it's worth, blah, 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 blah. That's not a formal appraisal. An appraisal is where you find out the fair market value, what an item is sold recently for or a comparable. If you, let's, let's say you have um, Jim Kelly's championship helmet when he won the Super Bowl and you can't find anything comparable to that, so you try to find another quarterback that had a season you know, that won a championship like that. So it's main, that's the main thing and you need to list everything it, it's not that easy to do an appraisal to do it right because i could just say okay i sold that item for 50 dollars last week sold it two week two weeks earlier for for 60 dollars. well the average of that is 55 dollars. i could say that but in actuality you, you you really can't have someone that owns a store write the appraisal you really have to have someone that knows what they're doing to write it up now, my, most guys don't have, you know, $100,000 uh, worth of a $100,000 item. They have a lot of 
you know, hundred, five hundred thousand, maybe two thousand dollar items to make up a collection that might be worth a hundred thousand um, dollars. Is it worthwhile to um, ensure the whole collection, or should you just cherry pick and pick out the one or two most valuable things in your collection and ensure it that way? Well, what I tell people, and kind of what we hit upon before, is if you're collecting that that book. And you got, let's say, 500 autographs in there. And you've got Babe Ruth on a photo or something else. And you have Mickey Mantle, Willie Mays, Hank, and blah, blah, blah in that book. You don't, you're not going to want to see that get damaged or lost. So I would say get everything appraised and, and, and insured. Because you never know what could be the most valuable part in that book or in your collecting. Is there, and in terms of um, UV protection for photos, you know, you want to have a nice, you want to put your autograph photo on the wall. Is there a uh, preferred frame that you like in term, uh, to protect it against the sun? Well, the glazing, like I said, you know, ultraviolet uh, UV protected glass to make sure that the, uh, the rays of the glass aren't going to fade it. But if you have anything in direct sunlight, museums and everything, if you notice, they, they have their better stuff where there's, you don't see any sunlight going on there and the better lighting. So if you really care about what you want to do, you want to protect it that way. I mean, there's a, there's a very famous uh, uh, owner of a baseball team that's got a huge collection and he's got his own vault. And if you, you, know, if you can afford a vault, you know, waterproof, fireproof vault with a temperature control, that's the, that's the, uh, the, the, the ultimate, but not everybody out there can afford a vault to protect your collection or have that much stuff. So, but I tell people treat, treat your collectible as if it's worth a million dollars because one day it might be, but you, you know, it's, and don't, don't always look at your collectible or your collection as, you know, as gold, look at it as something you enjoy doing and you love it and you, you're enjoying it. You know, not everything is worth a lot of money. Most collections I look at, there's a lot of crap in there. Yeah. The, the people have spent hours and time and everything to get to put it together. I mean, I just went to a widow's house and I felt bad. I bought some programs and tickets that weren't worth much. And, you know, he passed away and he had like a Yankee museum, <clears throat> but it mainly was comprised of Yankee uh, press clippings you know from the newspapers and put into frames and to me yes it looks nice it's interesting but there's no real value there yeah but well, we're, no, speaking with, we're speaking with the legend the legend himself les wolf you can find Les on uh, at his website which is les wolf sports llc.com you can email les at lwolf1823 at aol.com or you can just send me an email at ttmcast at yahoo.com if you have any questions for Les, we're going to talk a little more next week uh, about uh, collect, protecting your collection and and how to uh, ensure. And we'll 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 delve in a little deeper. But Les, thank you very much. Uh, any well, questions? You. Any more comments before I let you go? Just just mainly, you know, try. You know, I find the the most important thing is also look at your stuff every now and then. I had a very very good friend of mine, a collector. 10 years ago, he had me look at his baseballs. He said, oh, I haven't touched them. They're all mint condition. When somebody tells me that collection is in mint condition, I know 
that it's not. Because you haven't looked at it, you don't know. So every now and then, take a look at your collection and see if there's anything going on there. And then you can find out you may have a leak somewhere, God forbid, or they just started toning or something. So once a bull starts toning, there's no, no turning back. You want to, I tell people, if the, if the ink starts fading and a bull starts toning, time to sell it. No, I know. I see it. I see it all the time. It's, it's, it's just a, a shame. Well, thank you, Les. We will talk with Les uh, on, uh, in two weeks on June 12th. Les joins us every other week to talk about what's happening in the world of collecting and autographs. And uh, we were talking about preserving the collection. I think we'll continue that because Les, when we, uh, we first spoke, the, the subject came up and I had so many questions and people had wanted to learn more about how to protect their collection. So I think we'll, we'll continue that in two weeks and uh we'll, we'll talk to you then guys if you have any questions for last you can send it directly to him at l wolf 1823 at aol.com or you can send it to me at ttmcast at yahoo.com thanks les thank you well that was a pretty good interview don't you think drew it always is i mean les has always got some really great uh, great information inside yeah, Les is very uh, he he's very knowledgeable, and we love tapping his brain. We're gonna we're, we're gonna bring him back in two weeks, and we're gonna uh, continue with this subject because it's a really interesting subject. We had a lot of interest when we had Les on the the show probably about two months ago. That people he, he brought it up, and a lot of people had questions on it. So if you have any questions for Les, you can just send it to me at ttmcast at yahoo.com, and I'll forward it off to Les. Uh, in two weeks, we're gonna talk more about protecting your collection, and if there's anything you have. Any questions you have uh, for Les, because he knows everything about autographs, maybe even more than Drew. <laughs> uh, easily easily more than me. He's been around a hell of a lot longer. Yeah. S send us the, the, our questions and comments to ttmcast at yahoo.com. Well, that wraps up our Les Wilf segment. Next up is Making the Grade. Making the Grade is brought to you by Diamond Service Grading. Fast, accurate, transparent. Diamond Service Grading takes the mystery out of grading. They proudly have the best encapsulation in the industry with an amazing inner sleeve that not only protects your collectible investment, but looks great as well. Easy to submit, quick turnaround. DSG Grading is ready to grade your cards today. Visit dsggrading.com to learn more. Well, Drew, surprisingly, this week, may, uh, the, the grading community has been quiet. Uh, no press releases, no uh, no statistics. And, you know, we're, we're, we're finishing off the month of May finally, so we will have some uh, May grading figures probably for you guys next week. But I just want to remind everyone that our friends at DSG Grading, that's Diamond Service Grading, DSG Grading, they're offering a $5 coupon on every card that you get graded. The coupon code is 4HMUGTZG. Don't worry if you didn't write it down. It's available on our website, but I'll say it in again. 4HMUGTZG. They get you $5 off every card you get graded with uh, Diamond Service Grading. That's DSG Grading. And their regular standard submission is $30. So you get it for $25. That meaning that 30-day turnaround still they have all sorts of cool stuff. They have a QR code on the label. You just scan the QR code. You get the details of why your card got the grade. They have cool error labels. They have all sorts of uh, neat stuff for you to uh, look into. They also have uh, next day turnaround, which is a little more expensive than $30, but you can still use the $5 coupon code. But check them out. Diamond Service Grading, DSG Grading. Uh, check it out. Make sure you use the $5 coupon code, which is 4HMUG. TZG, and that's exclusive to TTN cast listeners. Well, Drew, that wraps up making the grade. Next up, ta-da, the TTM cast stamp of approval. 
I bet you're wondering who earned this week's TTM cast stamp of approval. Drew, you want to take it? You want to want to take it because it's it's kind of cool. I will. Yes. Uh, so my stamp of approval this week. I've mentioned these guys several times this season. Uh, my wife's a huge Colorado Avalanche fan, and they've had an absolutely incredible season from start to finish here so far. The big concern, though, has always been that they just cannot seem to get out of the second round of the playoffs. A couple of years ago, they were right there among the top teams, got bounced in the second round. It seems to happen every year. There's just some kind of curse on round two for them. And so after taking a three to one series lead and losing game five, my wife is sitting there going, oh, my God, they're going to blow this. They're going to it's going to happen again. They're going to blow this one. And last night, of course, you know, they go down one nothing early. They're down two to one going into the third period. Come back and tie it up. And then with what? 5.4 seconds left or something like that. Darren Helm, of all people, is fourth line winger. I mean, okay, so he's got Stanley Cup experience as a member of the Red Wings there. But Darren Helm, of all people, you've got this amazing top line of this team. And it's Darren Helm that scores the game-winning goal with – or the series-winning goal with five seconds left on there to win it for the Avs. So, stamp of approval to the Avs, especially Darren freaking Helm. So, there you go. That's my that's my stamp of approval for the week. It's always the way, isn't it? Yeah. it, it you know, when over time it goes off of somebody's butt or some, it, exactly. some somebody throws a knuckleball in and it bounces in, it's just – just kind of crazy. I mean, I love the NHL playoffs. I've really been following Carolina and the Rangers. That's kind of been my, my series. And um, I thought Carolina might win this thing because they're, they're really good, but I think your abs might have it. I think, I think they're, they're a hell of a team. I hope so. I mean, that's, uh, it should be such an amazing thing because I mean, you know, 10 years ago, they're picking first overall repeatedly in the draft. It seemed like there, but Hey, trust the process there, you know, just, I mean, you got to tank for a couple of years, maybe build yourself up and just dominate after that, hopefully. And I mean, the abs look like they may finally have gotten put together. Hopefully. Of course they run to Connor McDavid now. So who knows, but true. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks Drew. Well, my TTM cast stamp approval is a book. I've been really uh, deep into reading the last, last couple of months. And, and I, uh, I'm like, I don't know, three quarters of the way through this great book. It's called Bush League blues. It's by Mike Floyd. And it's all about Mike Floyd was a, a minor leaguer in the um, California Angels system. He also played with the Houston Astros uh, system. He never made it to the major leagues. I think it's highest he made was AAA. And it's all about just his time in the minor leagues and, and his teammates and, and the people that he encountered and the coaches. And it's a really fun book. And there's all sorts of characters in, in the in minor league baseball. It's a really, it's a 300 page book. It's available on Amazon. It's called Bush League Blues uh, by Mike Floyd. Mike was a, a star um, player in, in California coming up and he played for uh, a couple teams in the minor leagues. And uh, what Mike does is he uh, gets his input from a lot of his former teammates. So he'll talk about his teammates and then he'll, he actually writes to his teammates and says, you know, tell me a story about when we were together in the minor leagues. And then, then the player sends, you know, like a, a letter to him and he includes a letter, which is kind of cool. So it's a, it's a lot of firsthand, secondhand accounts and it's um, you know, minor leagues is fun. And right. These guys, these guys play baseball because they love it because they weren't making a lot of money. And again, the book is the book is called Bush League Blues. The author is uh, Mike Floyd. It's available on Amazon, and it is a really fun book. It's three hundred pages. Check it out, Bush League Blues. That is my TTMcast stamp of approval. Well, Drew, we're gonna go right into the burn rap minute. Hey! 
Well, the Vern Rap Minute is dedicated to Mr. Vern Rap, who passed away prior to me sending out a TTM request. And we do this as a uh, service to our fellow TTMers to let them know people who passed away in the world of celebrity and music and entertainment and sports so that they don't send off TTM requests to people who passed. And uh, this week, we lost a couple of people in uh, the world of music, and we lost a, uh, a movie star, and we lost a bunch of people in baseball and a couple of people in football. But uh, first, we lost Ray Liotta. Ray Liotta, of course, was an actor who was in Goodfellows. He was in Field of Dreams. Um, he's he's been all over the place in the past what 20 25 years right right Joe he's yeah, he's yeah. been in everything he played uh, Joe Jackson in Field of Dreams and uh, he was only 67 years old a couple of big ones from the world of music here this past week uh, Alan White the drummer from Yes uh, died at age 72 they were uh, of course you know one of the kind of one of the big names of classic rock there throughout the uh, 70s and I think on into the 80s there as well uh, also Andy Fletcher the uh, one of the founding members of Depeche Mode, he was their keyboardist there, but uh, he was 60 years old. Uh, first death in Depeche Mode, which I mean, I don't know that anyone expected it was gonna be Andy Fletcher. Dave Gahan, of course, I mean, he's had very chronicled bouts with uh, depression, with drug use and overdoses. And uh, so for it to be Andy Fletcher is the first member of that band to die, a little bit of a shock, definitely uh, sadness there. Yeah, and they've been around forever, haven't they, Drew? They, they, yeah, they started out in like the early 80s or so, and they've just been going on and on since then. I mean, they, hell, they're still doing doing a lot of tours and stuff recently. You know, they came through the Dallas area. I, unfortunately, I had to miss the show there, but they did come through like, I think it was the uh, big theater in Grand Prairie here. So yeah, they're still out there and what, 40 years in the business, it seems. Yeah, that's, uh, that, that's sick to witness. They're, they're a pretty good band. Uh, we also lost uh, uh, a baseball legend, baseball writing legend, uh, Roger Engel. Uh, Roger, of course, has written many baseball books, and uh, I believe he's in the Hall of Fame. He's won a bunch of bunch of awards, but Ray, Roger was 101 years old. Uh, Joe Pignatano, also from the world of baseball. He was a uh, catcher for several teams, mostly with the, I think he started out with the Brooklyn Dodgers, was with them when they went, moved to L.A., Kansas City A's, the Giants, the Mets. He was a coach on the 1969 Mets as well, and uh, Jeff, as you and I were talking about before the show, he uh, was traded or sold, I guess, from the Dodgers to the Kansas City A's. And the money used in that was used to finish off Dodger Stadium. So uh, he's kind of got a little bit there ingrained in the stadium there as well out in California. A very good TTMer as well. I actually got him back in 2011. Took only about a week to come back to me, but he was 92. So a pretty good long, uh, long run right there for him. Yeah, I think he had dementia in the later years, but I, I think up until probably 2020, maybe he was still signing. So um, he, he was a good T-Timmer. We lost uh, Gordon Windhorn. Gordon was an outfielder. Uh, he was kind of like a fourth outfielder guy. He played for the Yankees, Dodgers, A's, and Angels from 1959 to 1962. He was a very good t uh, He was 88 years old. Uh, Jim Kelly, not the one you're thinking of. This was uh, not the quarterback from the Bills. The tight end, though, from the Eagles and the Steelers back in the 1960s. Played from 64 to 67 the NFL. He was also a Notre Dame player back when they were a 1960s powerhouse. Uh, he died at the age of 80 this week. Not a TTM at all, but uh, yeah, lost him at 80. Yeah, we lost uh, Calvin McGee. And Calvin was a tight end for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers from 1985 to 1987. He was uh, from, he started Southern University. He wasn't, a, was not a TTM at all. Uh, Calvin was only 59 years old. Uh, we also got Sean Shanahan. I believe he's the last one there for this week. But uh, 1967 to seven, or 1976 to 78, a little numeric switch there. But uh, <laughs> NF, or NHL player there for Montreal, the Colorado Rockies, and the Boston Bruins. 
played right wing on those teams. Didn't get a ton of playing time there, but one of the few guys to play for both the Canadians and the Bruins, two organizations who hated each other throughout the seventies, but spent time with both those, uh, not a TTM at all died this week at age 71. Yeah. He might actually won a, a Stanley cup with the Canadians, I think in 76, yeah. right? That's, I think that's when they won won the, uh, Stanley Cup. I'm not 100% sure on that, but uh, you know what? Uh, our condolences uh, go out. We're sorry for everyone, all their losses. And, uh, you know, it, it's always sad when, when people that we follow and that were heroes of ours pass away. And we just want to pass that news off to our fellow collectors. Next up, Drew, we're going to take a look at our TTM returns for the week. Do you have a perfect 10 in your collection? Now's the time to find out. With the introduction of the CSG Perfect 10 label, the perfect holder meets the perfect label for your perfect cards. If you have cards certified with the original CSG label, take advantage of the reduced reholder fee of just $5 per card until June 30th, 2022. Get all the details at csgcards.com. Drew, I think we each, I, I got five and you got four returns this week. Uh, not a bad week. I think it's, I had a, a pretty good week at the beginning of the week and it's kind of slowed down the last couple of days. Um, how'd you do? I was about the same there. Yeah. Start out real strong and then just kind of died out after that, but some nice names here, at least in among them. So a Mercury Morris member of the 1972 dolphins got him back, took about, I think three, four months or so, but he signed the two cards that I sent to him. Uh, also Mer- Mercury up- Morris is the biggest propon- proponent of the perfect season, right? He's the guy that, yeah. that, he, like they, they, I guess I think they break open a bottle of champagne or something when, when the last team uh, suffers a loss. And I think, yeah. I think Mercury Morris leads the charge. That would not surprise me at all. He signed. He put seventeen and zero on the two cards I sent. Even though neither one that I sent was like a seventy-two or seventy-three card or anything, he put it on there anyway. Which I'm good with that. Go for it, sure. But yeah, got him back. Took about you know three months or so, I think, on that. Uh, also got Tom Reddington. Reddington is on that 1992 Tops quad rookies card with, uh, let's see here. That was Frank Bullock and uh, Craig Paquette. I've gotten both of them then sent out to Reddington. I just need to get Paul Russo on it next. Uh, Russo hasn't been signing much for the last year, but I've got somebody who is helping me out on that. So I'm going to hopefully get that one finished off here in the next uh, couple of weeks or so. Um, May 24th, got Carl Valentine back. Carl was a, an indoor soccer player for several teams the Cleveland Force, the Baltimore Blast, the Kansas City Comets. And he now works with, he's Canadian, and now works with the Vancouver Whitecaps in MLS as a, uh, he's kind of like a uh, community representative there for the team. But took about eight months or so to come back from him, but he signed the one card I sent and included a second one as well. Uh, last one I got for TTMs was uh, Kurt Miller. Miller was a, he's the, I think the fifth overall pick of the 1990 MLB draft taken by the Pirates. Pirates turned around and traded him about a year later to the Rangers. Rangers turned around and traded him a couple of years after that to the Marlins. And he played the Marlins and the Cubs for a short career there, but uh, took nearly two years to get those ones back. Wow. He signed all four cards that I sent. It was uh, August of 2020 that I mailed them out and got them back just now. But I also got a few purchases and trades in this week uh, for my 2021 Heritage set. Got a, a Spencer Howard one right there. Nice. Howard's uh, with the Rangers here, but there's no easy access to them anymore, so I... Kind of had to go out and buy that one, but got a good deal for it. Uh, traded for Dominic Smith of the Mets. Yep. Funny thing is the guy that I traded with on this one actually lives over in uh, Roslindale, not too far from you there. And yep. uh, right down the street from where I used to play street hockey in college. So I mentioned that. I'm like, dude, Roslindale, no kidding. I used to play <laughs> Fallon Field all the time. 
I picked up this uh, Mike Brasso from the Tampa Bay Rays in a trade. Also, always good to add uh, one that's all. Anytime you can find a dual card that's already signed by both guys, you got to jump on that one. So I found the Cardinals one there signed by both uh, Cody uh, Cody Whitley and uh, Roel Ramirez. Nice. Uh, let's see here. That's the there's the Denelson Lamet card that I was able to get signed by him at the uh, game there the other day. And I think I mentioned last week I got Carlos Hernandez and Antoine Kelly for their respective sets as well. But I've got a lot more coming in still this week for uh, set cards from purchases and trades. So hopefully we'll be able to talk about those a little bit during the week uh, next week when we're on again. But uh, yeah, I'm gradually getting this uh, set shipped away. I think it's got uh, the heritage set, the regular heritage set between the original set and the high number set has, I think, 792 players across 725 cards. And my goal right now, I'd like to get to having at least 10% of it knocked out before the end of the year, which I think is very doable at this point. Yeah, you're making great headway on those. You really are. Yeah, I'm up to, I think, uh, 53 SIGs total. So, I mean, all I need to do is add 26 more before the end of the year. I might be able to knock out some of that at the National or something. So, yeah, we'll see how that that goes. That's my goal right now on that. Yeah, and you might get some guys uh, when you travels too, right? There's some guys that... Yeah, the heritage guys... guys. Yeah, the minor league guys will be easier than my my minor league goal, I should say, is 25% of that set, which I'm at um, 10% of it, close to 10% of it right now. I've got 20 out of 220. So I think I can get to 25% there because that's ones I've already gone through and marked on my list. And there's a lot of guys I'm at least going to have a chance at. So, yeah, I think I might have a, I might have a decent shot at getting some of those guys. And hopefully I'll be able to add one more to the the regular heritage set today because, like I said, going out for the uh, San Antonio missions again. Got one more Denelson Lamet or Lamet or whatever. How are you pronounce his name? There, <laughs> guy. But I need to get him on one more. And uh, Jorge Ona is down with them as well. He was stricken with deafness, sadly, on Wednesday. Uh, keep me in your prayers there for that. But um, hopefully he's able to cure that. I did see that he did sign for somebody here recently at the uh, at a Frisco game. So hopefully I'm able to get him as well. But yeah, it's coming along. Got it a few added there. Hopefully it's gonna be some more. Cool. Well, thanks, Drew. I had I had uh, I think six returns this week. Um, I I. I think I, I've been, I told you guys about this, but I'll just remind you. I uh, opened a pack of 1989 uh, Upper Deck baseball cards with our friend Brian Pierrep. Uh He was in town and we got together. Uh, my wife and I and, and Brian had lunch and he, he said, well, let's open a pack. So we opened a pack of 89 uh, Upper Deck in Boston. And he's like, he's like, oh, you can just keep them. So I'm like, all right. So I, I went through them and I, I sent out, I don't know, uh, what are this, like 10 or 12 cards in the, the pack. I sent out probably eight of them to get signed, and I've been getting them back in. So I got, I've got three of them back this week. I got Bill Wagman from the um, Brewers. He's a pitcher for the Brewers. He's a very good TTMer, and he signed it nice blue Sharpie. These all took like less than two weeks. They're really quick turnarounds. I got the, the uh, Mr. Automatic, right, Frank Tanana. I think if you send to Frank Tanana and he doesn't sign within, the, uh, within 10 days, something's wrong. So I got Tanana. He's a, uh, he was in the Tigers here. He's actually like loading balls into, uh, um, uh, you know, warming up or something. We a weird looking card, but to Frank Tanana signed it with the John uh, 14-6 that, and got that one back. And then this one I got back um, the other day, yesterday, I think. Uh, Jim uh, Wallwinder from the Detroit Tigers. He signed a nice blue Sharpie. But what he did include, he included kind of his own custom card from 1989 flair it's kind of i don't know it's kind of a neat little thing and he, he include that and so we got that we got that back uh, as well and so those are those are three from my brian pair up 
uh, pack that I got back. And then I got um, William Andrews, who was a uh, star running back before he hurt his knee with the Atlanta Falcons for a bunch of years. I think four out of five years, he ran over a thousand yards his first five years. He got hurt. He, he hurt his knee really bad. He missed two years and then he came back and he, he actually played tight end in his final year, 1986 or 87. Um, but he's a, he's a great TTM. I've gotten him on a, a couple times, but I got him on a 1980 tops card. And then I got, um, I got a, two baseball returns yesterday. Actually. I got Joel Finch. Joel Finch signed his 1980 Red Sox uh, rookie card, which had already been signed by Chuck Rainey. So now I, I just sent it off to Mike O'Berry, who was a backup catcher. And I don't know if he's kind of a uh, off and on signer. So we'll see. We'll see if we get it signed. But I did. I do have it signed by Joel Finch and Chuck Rainey now. And I said, oh, I'll take the shot, take a shot and get the get see if I can get the third one. But, um, you know, no, no stars on, on this card, even though it said future stars. But it's always it's always kind of cool to finish off a, um, a rookie card. And then lastly, uh, I'm very excited to get this one. Finally, I think this is my third attempt to this guy. I think the first time I sent it, I sent it. I, I didn't send any money because I didn't know he needed money. He sent the card back to unsigned. The second one, I sent this rookie card with 10 bucks. Never saw it. Lost my lost my 10 bucks. So this is a lot. My, I took one more shot at it, and I sent two cards, a 1990 um, Topps card. And uh, what, I don't even know what year this is. This is a 1996 Topps card to Mr. Joe Carter. And he signed both my cards. I only sent $10. He signed both my cards for 10 bucks. And I'm very thrilled to add him to my collection. I've, I've been kind of, he's been kind of a, a white whale for me. I, I think probably a year, a year and a half. I, I haven't had a, I've been waiting on uh, to get a Joe Carter. And so now I got two Joe Carters for my collection. Nice. So uh, you never know, right? These guys just, they run, they run hot, they're on cold. And sometimes they do sign, sometimes they don't. Well, thank you, Mr. Joe Carter for signing my two cards. And um, that kind of wraps up my returns. I sent out, I think I sent out uh, 19 cards on Monday and I sent, I just sent out four or five more cards out yesterday. So I've, I got probably almost 25 cards out in the, the mail this week. I try to do 10 a week. How about you, Drew? I haven't really sent anything out. I've got to get that Paul Russo one out here pretty soon. And uh, I've got a couple others I'd like to try to do as well. I want to resend my Morton Anderson one, maybe a couple others, but you mentioned the uh, Joel Finch success there and sending it off to Mike O'Berry. I've got that same one sitting right here, missing O'Berry as well on it. So yep. I just sent, back, I just I sent it out yesterday. That. Yeah. If you get him back, I will definitely be trying him out then as well to see if I can finish that one off. Cause I mean, it's not like a major project of mine or anything on at least not as much as, you know, some of the sets and stuff that I do, but I do like trying to get any kind of, you know, duels, triples, quads, anything like that finished out. So yeah, if you get him back, he's going to, I'm going to be uh, sending mine out then too. You know what? I I, I kind of went back and forth. I was being wishy washy on it, and I was like, you know what? It's friggin' Joel Finch and Chuck Chuck, Chuck Rainey. You know what I mean? I you know I really like the guys. I, I I didn't. I for some reason I thought Joel Finch had a longer career in the in the major leagues. Mm-hmm. I looked him up. He only played one year, nineteen eighty nine. He uh he was zero and three. He he's ne- he never won a game uh, with the Red Sox. He retired um when he was twenty four years old. So I don't. He must have. He must have got hurt. Yeah. He, he, I saw he had won 15 games with the Bristol Red Sox in uh, like 77, which so he was a prospect, certainly. And then he finished off with the, the Pawtucket Red Sox in like 81, and he was only 24 years old. So I, he, he must have got hurt because I do remember him 
I thought he had a longer career for some reason. Cause I remember, you know, he was kind of right in my wheelhouse. The one I really followed the Red Sox, mm-hmm. you know, in the late in late seventies and early eighties. And I, I remember him pitching for the Red Sox. And for some reason I thought he pitched for a couple of years, but I guess he didn't. So, uh, but it, you know, it's nice when these guys, uh, sign. I'm sure. I'm sure some of these guys are, are thrilled to get get an autograph request. Oh, someone remembers me. Um, Michael Berry. I don't think he had much of a career. I don't. I didn't. I didn't. Rec- I don't re- recognize him at all. So I don't know if he even even made it up to the major leagues. But um, I took a shot. Yeah, it's worth it. It is. Well, guys, that wraps up our returns for the week, and hopefully we'll have some nice more returns for you next week. As I said, I've got a bunch out. Drew's got a bunch out. And we'll keep you posted. But we're going to go. That that wraps up returns. Next up is our TTMcast weekly interview. This week's interview is brought to you by Certified Sports Guarantee. CSGcards.com for superior sports card certification and grading. Well, Drew, this week I I had uh, the pleasure of interviewing uh, Rich Carlos. What I did is I I had opened a pack of uh, 1989 Tops football cards uh, for a video that I shot. And I was down at Salem Willows. You drew, I'm sure you're familiar with Salem Willows. And it's kind of a, uh, like a little arcade area up, uh, up here in the North Shore of Boston. And I went in April and it was freezing cold. And <laughs> I opened a pack of cards and I, I did the same thing. I was like, oh, I got a bunch of cards in there. Maybe I'll send them off. One of the cards I got was Rich Carlos. And so I sent it off to Rich Carlos to see if, uh, he would autograph for me and i asked him if he'd be on the show and lo and behold he sent me back a, my card and said sure give me a call so i we we got uh, arranged an interview with rich and, and uh you know what i i've had morton anderson on the the show before so i kind of like talking kickers yep. and uh rich carlos was the last uh of the barefooted kickers he's the last barefooted kicker in the, in the nfl so he played in Denver and Minnesota and in uh, Detroit. And I said, those are three cold places. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and this guy's barefoot kicking. So I wanted, I, I was really interested in, in how he went about becoming a barefoot kicker and, and what he did to keep his foot warm and how, you know, was it was better to kick barefoot than with a shoe on. And I really, we talked kicking. We really <laughs> talked a lot kicking with Rich Carlos. And then when I was learning more about Rich Carlos, I remember him, hitting the the game winner field goal against the Browns with the Denver Broncos back in 86 for the AFC championship. But I wasn't, I didn't realize the controversy around it. So I went and I, I watched the video and I go, Rich, did you hit it? Or did you not hit it? <laughs> so you're gonna no find- Any, anybody, I challenge anybody to go back in there and watch that video and tell me how that went through the uprights that was over that upright it was over it there's no way that should have been good i am I knew going- i'd get you going i knew i'd get you going that is the hill that i will die on rich carlos's kick was not good well rich is actually from ohio he's an ohio kid oh even worse oh yeah geez. he's he grew up in in cleveland area he's an ohio kid so we we talked a little about that we talked about um uh, the kick the the kick and we also talk about um autograph requests so it's a really fun interview rich is very very good um and we you know he i, I was it was very uh, nice to talk to rich so please i hopefully i didn't let the whole cat out of the bag but please enjoy my interview <laughs> with uh, rich carlos a former kicker for the denver broncos the minnesota vikings and the detroit lions but first here's a message from our friends at csg It's not too late to participate in the first ever CSG Registry Awards. 
Add your cards to the CSG registry to automatically be considered for awards and prizes, including a $500 grading credit. The deadline to get your sets ready is July 1st, and the winners will be announced on July 29th. What are you waiting for? It's fun, free, and easy to compete. To learn more, visit csgcards.com registry. Joining the show is Rich Carlos. Rich played nine seasons in the National Football League with the Denver Broncos, Minnesota Vikings, and Detroit Lions from 1982 to 1990. And he was a, a place kicker for, the, for these teams, but not just a place kicker. He was a barefooted place kicker, which in my mind is crazy. Welcome to the program, Rich. Thanks, Jeff. Good to be with you. Rich, the first question I have to ask you is because I can barely walk through my living room with no shoes on without without stubbing my toe or something. What inspired you to, to kick barefooted in, in such uh, inclement uh, hospital and hospital uh, places like Denver and Minnesota? Well, the, uh, <clears throat> you know, I only played my senior year in high school and I walked, I was there as a punter and they asked me to kick and I did liked it enough that I decided to uh, try it in, you know, walk on in college and walked on at the University of Cincinnati as a punter with a shoe on. And then in spring ball that year, they said, look, we've got enough punters. Why don't you work on uh, kicking? And I'm like, sure, I never played soccer. I, you know, I had no idea what I was doing other than if I hit it good, it went far. Uh, and I'd seen Tony Franklin kicking barefoot at Texas A&M and just tried it. And I found that when I hit it right, it went really far. And when I hit it wrong, it hurt. So I learned to concentrate uh, real quickly. Is the kicking action as from a punter to a place kicker different? Is that a different uh, muscle group or a different, different way of kicking? Yeah, I think it's a completely different leg swing. I mean, a, a punter, at least when I was you know playing a punter, his leg came pretty much straight through where, you know, a soccer uh, field goal kicker, uh, soccer style field goal kicker would, you know, come across his body more. So it's, it's kind of two different leg swings. And, you know, I think that's why it was always tough for guys to, you know, kind of do both at a really high level. Did you, what part of the, of your foot did you use when you were kicking for uh, field goals and extra points? Top of your instep the top of your end step. Did you um, make an X or a mark on your foot so that you knew where you were going to hit it? You know, sometimes when you're, um, you know, when you're golfing and you have your putter and you want to, you, you kind of make a little mark where you should, you should hit the putter. Is that something that you, you, you kind of did or you didn't, you just kind of mentally knew where to hit it? Well, it usually was uh, pretty uh, red by that point. So you knew where you were hitting it, uh, uh, right away. And, you know, for me, you know, being self-taught, you know, coming up before there were camps and clinics and things like that, the, um, you know, you just had to kind of, you know, you know, trial by error. Right. So, uh, and in it, like I said, when I hit it good, it went really far. Uh, but it took me, you know, three years before I perfected it enough to, you know, be able to kick, field goals in game situations. Did you have to um, do special exercises with your foot or did you have special calluses that you know what you that you got during training camp so that your your foot was in, in game condition so to speak? It was easier to get it into condition when it was warm out 
<clears throat> so that when the cold weather came around, you were a little more callous to it. The uh, I did a fun piece with uh, um, uh, Manning, uh, Peyton Manning, on teaching him to kick barefoot <clears throat> on his uh, Peyton's places a couple years ago, and I did share with him the the uh, they call it cow udder cream that you uh, can put on your foot afterwards and. He was uh, he was extremely interested in that aspect of uh, the kicking. Now you wanted your foot you you wanted your foot to be dry, right? You didn't want to have any lotion on it or any dirt or any sweat on it, right? Because it no no, but I mean that was you know you had to take care of it because you didn't want it to dry and crack. Yeah, because if you if you had a cut on your foot, it would pretty much remain for the rest of the season. Uh, so you wanted to just make sure, you know, when you, you know, after you showered and stuff to take good care of your foot since it was your living. Did you kick off with the foot up with the shoe off or did you, you did? Yeah, I kicked, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I actually kicked at the University of Cincinnati. I did kickoffs my sophomore and junior year. And then they finally put me on scholarship and let me kick field goals my uh, senior year. Did you now? Did you ever have to tackle anyone without without a shoe on, or did you get oh, your foot sure. stepped on? Sure, never got it stepped on, but yeah, I mean, you, uh, uh, you know, being the last line of defense, uh, there was a several times where, you know, I was the last guy standing, and and uh, most of the time it ended up well, and uh, sometimes they kind of had to come out and revive you and get you up, so. We're speaking with Rich Carlos. Rich played nine seasons in the National Football League with the Denver Broncos, Minnesota Vikings, and Detroit Lions from 1982 to 1990. He was a place kicker. He was number three, and he was a barefooted place kicker, which I still am still amazed at. Uh, Rich, how come uh, you know there has been so few uh, barefooted kickers in, in uh, professional football? Well, I've been told I was the last one that did it. Um which, you know, I don't know how I feel about that, but the, uh, I, I would say that the quality in the fit of shoes has gotten to be so much better where, you know, the guys that are kicking, you know, they, they usually have a different shoe on their right foot than their left and they fit like a glove. So, cause the one thing you, you know, when, you know, kicking, you don't want a cushion between the ball and your foot. So, uh, you know, I know they, they came out and they experimented with kangaroo skin shoes at one point. And, uh, but most guys now, I mean, they wear uh, a real thin shoe. And in some cases, they take the tongue out of the shoe. And in some cases, um, they wear a shoe that's, you know, a size or more smaller than what they would normally wear. Now, you mentioned Tony Franklin. I'm, I'm a New England guy, a Boston guy. I certainly remember Tony Franklin. As a patriot, did you um, did, have you and him talk kicking a lot while you were when you were playing? Uh, just a little bit, <clears throat> you know. He uh, when he was uh, with the Eagles, uh, which would have been his first couple years in the league, uh, we were playing Temple, and they brought him out and and had him uh, talk a little bit to me. But uh, yeah, mostly you know I'm just self taught and. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, he, you know, he gave me a little encouragement, but uh, more or less, I think it was just a matter of, you know, honing that skill over, you know, a lot of kicks. 
Is kicking a field goal kind of like putting or, or, or a golf swing in terms of the mechanics of, of repeating the, the muscle memory? Is that something that, that we, you, you can kind of, you know, you've, you always hear of, of golfers, they lose their swing or putters, you know, they lose their putting. Is that similar to mm-hmm. what a, a kicker goes through? Uh, I think so. I think all of us, we kind of have a, a tempo uh, that we develop. And, you know, as we, you know, you get into that <clears throat> tempo when you're kicking. And I think that, you know, even that tempo carries over when you're doing other things like golfing, um, you know, that kind of that explosiveness and the, um, you know, but, you know, I think like anything, I mean, the more you do it, you know, you develop that muscle memory. And the only thing that can really disrupt that, you know, is <clears throat> your own mind, right? That, you know, something yep. happens that you make a mistake. And, you know, we've seen it happen with guys, you know, throughout their careers where they're cruising along and all of a sudden they have, maybe they miss an important kick and, you know, all of a sudden it, I mean, it totally derails you from a confidence standpoint. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you see it in baseball pitchers, right. They'll all of a sudden they'll, they'll lose the plate or, or uh, even basketball shooters, you know, they'll, they'll just lose their shot for some reason or other. And mm-hmm. it's kind of, Sometimes it comes back, and sometimes guys like Steve Blass, it just doesn't come back. Or remember Steve Sachs with the Yankees and, and Dodgers, mm-hmm. he just couldn't throw to second base anymore. Yeah, and, and for me, when I would start to struggle, I would just move back and just work on really short, shorter kicks, you know, inside of 35 yards and just work on getting that tempo reestablished. Uh, and I think that that's what, you know, you have to do is, you know, it, it will come and go. And you always hope that it doesn't go when you, uh, when you really, really need it. Yeah. One thing as a football fan that always drives me crazy watching the game is when the coach calls a timeout and they try to ice the kicker quote unquote, Um, you know, that, that kind of gave new meaning to you, right? Cause you were out there when it was cold. Did you, did you have coaches that that tried to ice you quote unquote? And and did that ever bother you? Not that I recall. I mean, I, I, you know, I think that, you know, for me, if it was cold out in a game, you know, on the sideline, I kept my foot in a nice warm uh, moon boot. And, you know, so when I was out there, I could be out there for a while before, you know, my foot really started to get cold, cold. You know, it got, it was more in practice and in pregame when you're kicking 20 or 30 balls or whatever at a time that eventually, you know, it would get cold. Now you kicked in Denver for most of your career. Is Denver uh, a better place to kick? Does the ball actually travel farther than, than uh, some of the other place, the other stadiums? Yeah, I think you know, most people would agree that it's probably worth maybe about five yards. Um, you know, I, I think most people would agree. And, and if it's a really warm day, you know, you know, it, it, that ball's really going to go anyway. Because you know, it just you know, the ball itself is hot. Um, but yeah, I would say in Denver, you know, about five yards of a benefit. We're speaking with Rich Carlos. Rich played nine seasons in the National Football Leagues with the Denver Broncos, Minnesota Vikings, Detroit Lions from 1982 to 1990. He was the place kicker, barefooted place kicker. We're talking about Rich's time in the NFL. I'm going to talk a little about uh, autographs and collecting with him in a minute. Rich, is there any stadium that really you really enjoyed kicking? Any places you really enjoyed kicking other than in Denver? 
Um, you know, San Diego uh, could could be pretty nice. Uh, obviously, the dome stadiums were always nice, you know, for a kicker because you remove the factor of wind. Um, so, you know, the, the uh, you know, the King Dome, the, you know, the Silver Dome back in the day, uh, the Metro Dome, the, um, um, the uh, trying to think of what the Saints old uh, Superdome. Superdome, uh, yeah. How about like Philly and, and New England and, and uh, the Giants? Those, those are uh, notoriously bad because of the wind and, and the fandom. Is that is that still hold true for you? I would say so. I would say there, Buffalo uh, can be pretty tough places uh, to kick. Um, we always thought that the the uh, guys at the Giants would open those garage doors at the end. <laughs> you know, all of a sudden you had a breeze in your face that wasn't there before you uh, you know had gone out to kick. Well, I wouldn't put that that past bill parcells and, <laughs> and bill belichick is, is something they wouldn't do how about exactly. i'm kicking on, on uh, grass or turf i know you you kicked most of your career on uh grass in, in denver uh did you prefer kicking on grass or turf it didn't really matter to you uh i think that you know if you had good grass it was fine you know the the places where it got tough is like in San Diego, if you played them too early in the year back in the day, they would have the baseball field in still. And kicking off of that hard dirt uh, was really tough to get, feel like you had good footing on it because the ground was so hard. Um, so, yeah, the uh, uh, obviously turf, you know, turf so much better now, but, uh, you know, turf was another one that was, was nice and consistent. Uh, although, like the turf at the, the old Three Rivers Stadium in Pittsburgh, they had these, uh, wherever the bases were, they had these inserts put in. So there would be uh, like uh, cracks, you know, like gaps. Yeah. Between, and so those things could be just disruptive depending on where the ball was placed. Did uh, any of the crowds ever ever affect you, or, or did that doesn't really bother you? I know, like we, you know, in basketball, they're all raising their hands behind the, the net when they're shooting foul shots, and, and you know they try to do that with the pitches, spectators sometimes. And I don't, I don't think it ever does anything. Does the crowd? Did the crowd ever affect you? Did you ever care the crowd, and no, it was just so loud that it affected you? No, it, you know, the crowd it became just kind of like that white noise, you know, in the background. You know, I remember <clears throat> playing in L.A. when the Raiders played there, and there we were. They had, it was probably one of the biggest crowds they ever had there, and and you could actually feel the ground, you know, kind of shaking when you went out. Uh, but mostly, it wasn't too bad. You know, we had an incident in Denver against the 49ers where uh, Ray Worshing was kicking a field goal to win the game, and someone threw a snowball, and it landed right where Matt Cavanaugh was going to put the ball down and they ended up, he missed the kick. And so, you know, for the next year or two, wherever I would go, you know, I'd be out to kick a field goal. You know, even if it was in Seattle, you know, a, a ball of tape would be, you know, might come landing. <laughs> and stuff. So, so I get, that was the worst part about it is, is people feeling like they're going to retaliate for what happened to Ray. 
Were there any lines, you know, teams that you had trouble either that were really good at blocking kicks or, or gave you a problem because they had someone really tall uh, that could potentially, potentially knock a kick down that had that affected you? No, you know, because if, if you look at the way I kicked and the fact that I was kicking barefoot, yeah, you know, and that's primarily why I think I got the attention of the Broncos coaches was I got the ball up so quickly uh, that it was really hard to block it up the middle unless you had a breakdown of some sort. Uh, I know, you know, I played, when I played Minnesota, I got, you know, to know Tim Irwin, who was pretty famous, you know, he's about six, seven or so. Um, and he was pretty famous for blocking kicks, but uh, I was fortunate. I think I, you know, maybe had, I don't know, maybe one, maybe, maybe two, maybe kicks blocked my whole career. So I was pretty fortunate that way. Uh, I, since you played, I think the, the kickers and, and for, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think that the kicking has gotten better in terms of the, the length of the guys, the, the length of the guys can kick in their accuracy. Do you think the, if you had played under the rules that they have today uh, would affected uh, you in a, a negative way or a positive way, or didn't, it wouldn't really affect you because it is well, it, different rules now. Right. Yeah. I, I think uh, Belichick really embellished on that this last year, talking about, you know, the development of having a dedicated center, you know, long snapper. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, my long snapper was Keith Bishop, who was the starting left guard. So I would get maybe 10 minutes with Keith before practice, uh, where today, you know, I think, you know, naturally the game is evolved as far as, you know, the strength of the kickers. And, uh, but I also think that they've, you know, the players have benefited, the kickers have benefited from having that combination of full-time long snapper, you know, usually the punter is the holder. So that, that, that those three, that group really work, you know, well together. Then the other, I think the other thing that's changed is that, you know, we always had to play with relatively new, you know, brand new balls out of a box. You know, they might get doctored a little bit, but not anything like today where they have a dedicated kicking ball. Right, the special kicking yeah. ball. And, and I think that anyone that's kicked knows that a ball that's broken in will go a lot farther than one right out of the box. Do you think we'll ever see a woman in professional uh, football as a kicker? I don't know. It could happen. I mean, I've seen some kick in uh, high school and college and, um, you know, uh, you know, obviously there's some women that play on the uh, national uh, soccer, you know, the national team in soccer that have awful strong legs and, you know, I, I wouldn't discount it. I mean, it could certainly happen. We're speaking with Rich Carlos. Rich played for nine seasons in the National Football League. He played with the Denver Broncos, the Minnesota Vikings, the Detroit Lions from 1982 to 1990. And he was a place kicker. He was number three in your program. He was a barefooted kicker. And Rich, I think your most famous field goal certainly has to be the game-winning field goal that you kicked in overtime for Denver against Cleveland in the 1986 AFC Championship game. Now, I I knew of the kick because I do remember it, but I hadn't seen it in a while, and I went back and looked at the, the tape. <laughs> All right, between just you and I, no one's listening. Was it good and no good? Yeah, I, you know, what I looked at was the referee that was under the post had no hesitation whatsoever about calling it good. 
you know, I grew up back in Northeastern Ohio with a lot of Browns fans and uh, um, they still haven't recovered uh, from that game or the one the next year. Um, but, you know, that end of the field, uh, with the, it was nice because you were away from the dog pound where, you know, I had to make the extra point on the dog pound end, which, you know, the dog pound is right up against the end line. Yep. Where at the other end, you still had about 50 yards or so field behind those posts. The only downside to that was at that end of the field was just painted sand. So the footing at that end was really atrocious. And uh, I think that, you know, I, I never uh, in my career really hooked the ball. Uh, but in that game, you know, I, when I planted, my foot slid right into that in the sand. That's why that ball had that little tail on it. And, uh, and the other thing is, you know, what I tell people is, you know, the cameras were another 70 yards beat probably behind that goalpost. So you can't, you know, on the camera, you can't really tell kind of where the ball was crossing. Right, because it went over the it went over <clears throat> the end of the, the goalpost. So it was really hard. Yeah, somewhere, to... yeah, somewhere around either, you know, I think it would have had to go over the inside of it to be called good. It's either that or those referees were freezing their butts off and wanted to get out of there. I don't know. Now, is it hard for you as a as an Ohio kid to uh Add to the the losing lore of Cleveland and professional sports. I mean, they, you know, I'm from Massachusetts and Boston. We had a lot of losing until the last like 15, 20 years. So I, I empathize with Cleveland. But uh, as a Cleveland kid, was it hard for you to be be a because I a lot of the stuff that I read that's like their number one or number two loss in professional sports. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I I uh, you know I get teased about it you know a lot from Cleveland fans and. Um, the, you know, but I, I didn't feel bad about it because it was my job. Uh, you know, when I was a little boy, my dad would take me up to Hiram college, uh, where the Browns, you know, had their training camp. So, you know, that's when, you know, Frank Ryan and Bill Nelson and Leroy Kelly and those guys were playing. So my dad had tried so hard to make me a Browns fan, Uh, although I was really more of a Packers fan. Growing up as a kid, I love Bart Starr and and uh, and that te- those teams. Well, sure that that kick led you to be featured on the cover of Sports Illustrated, and a, a great photo with your hands raised triumphantly. It was January nineteenth, two thousand seventeen issue. You must get a lot of uh, requests to sign that that uh, issue of Sports Illustrated in that photo. Yeah, a lot of them still come through. Uh, I'm always surprised by. How many are still, you know, there must still be out there that people find and and uh, ship off for for me to sign. And uh, yeah, it's uh, that was a really special moment, obviously, for me in my career. And have it having it happen, you know, an hour and a half from where I grew up, uh, you know, with with my whole family there, and uh, you know, that was a you know certainly a, a very special time. Now you as a, you as a, a walk on in college and, and you weren't drafted in the pros and then you made the pros and then you appeared in a bunch of, of uh, football cards. How was that like for you for for you to be featured in your your first football card? Oh, that was a thrill. I mean, I, you know, I I had football cards as a kid, and uh, you know, in in those early days in the eighties, it was pretty uh, uh, 
uh, special because they did not do a card for every player. I mean, they they selected a you know a, a limited number of guys that had their you know had their cards made up. So uh, yeah, that was a thrill. Although I got tagged with my name Rick, and it was my name's never been Rick; it's always been Rich. And so I always laugh when I see the uh, cards that come with letters that are calling me Rick because the cards say Rick on them. So. Do you get many requests for, for cards to uh, get autographed in the mail? Yeah, yeah, I'm surprised by just the amount of, of uh, you know, of, of, of mail that comes in with mostly trading, you know, the, the trading cards, but occasionally someone has like glossy pictures that they got from somewhere. Um, so it must be a pretty good network. I've, I've tried to update my mailing address so that stuff doesn't go to other addresses. And I've done forwarding and things like that to try to make sure things don't get sent, you know, in the wrong, to the wrong place. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm sure there's sites somewhere that share those addresses. because There are. Do you, um, how many do you think you get in a month? How many requests do you think you get in a month? I don't know, probably 15 to 20, you know. Which is a good number for someone who hasn't played in 35 or 40 years. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, I, you know, I'm more, you know, and the letters always, you know, some of the letters are really, you know, touching. I mean, some of them obviously are mass produced. And, and you know, I've, I'm kind of of the attitude is I, I will sign one of each year of the card, uh, but I won't sign. If you send me four of the same one, I'm not signing all of those. I'll sign sure. one of them. Did you, you said you collected football cards as a kid? Did you, when you were a player, did you go and, and you were in a gr uh, grocery store or drugstore, pick up a couple packs to see if you could get, get your own card? No, no, I never did. Uh, uh, but I, you know, I still have lots of cards that, you know, because eventually near the end of my career, the trading companies would, would send you a box of cards, um, you know, which was, you know, was nice to have. Do you have the uh, game-winning field goal from the, the 1986 AFC championship game? Did you get that ball? No. No, you who knows? Did, did, it, did it make no it to idea. the Broncos Hall of Fame or the NFL Hall of Fame? I, I have no idea. I, you know, I know that uh, uh, Vance Johnson picked up the ball that, Mark Jackson, it spiked when we that uh, led up to us tying the game. Uh, but I have no idea what happened to that ball. You know, we were given game balls, but I'm sure that those balls aren't the ones that. Yeah. You know. I mean, did people you, weren't weren't as uh, you didn't really think about that as much as you know, now. You know, they must have to have 50 balls for every game. Because guys, you know, they score a touchdown, they keep the ball. Do you have any memorabilia from your playing days? Did you keep uniforms or helmets or, uh, you know, you said, you, or did you get game balls? Do you have any memorabilia from your playing days? Yeah, I've got game balls. I have jerseys and helmets. And um, I have my, my uh, T-shirt that from my tryout camp in May 8th of 82 when – I show up and there's 476 guys and and uh, 75 kickers and <laughs> I had a 
my my t-shirt I have a frame is 192. Uh, uh, so you know that's what they called me until they saw how I kicked and then they wanted to know my name and where the heck I was from. Did you collect any autographs from either your teammates or or uh, any opponents from your playing days? No, no, I have some pictures of uh, some of my buddies that were kickers. You know, we, you know, we uh, pregame, we'd go out and get the team photographer to take pictures of us, you know, together and stuff. So I have, I have those that are, you know, but they're not signed. They're just my ch- kind of cherished memories. Sure. We're well, speaking with Rich Carlos. Rich played nine seasons in the National Football League for the Denver Broncos, Minnesota Vikings, and Detroit Lions. From 1982 to 1990, he was a place kicker, a barefooted place kicker, and he was number three. Rich, was there any reason you uh, became number three? Was that the, that the number they gave you, or was that the number you wore <laughs> in college? Or <laughs> well, I think that, my, that... the first jersey I got when I came to training camp was 12, and then uh, and I was kicking against four other guys: the incumbent Freddie Steinfurt. Rex Robinson, who had been drafted the year before out of Georgia by Cincinnati. Uh, Alan Duncan, who had been drafted by the Eagles the year before out of Tennessee. And a a guy out of New Mexico, uh, University of New Mexico. Um, And Rex actually had the number three. And he, he struggled in training camp and they cut him. And the next thing I know, I was number three. And then you were happy with that. Or you just you just wanted to be in the show, right? Yeah. And and now in Denver, I'm the other not number three. Now that uh, Russell Wilson is in town wearing the uh, the number three, I'm sure uh, he'll sell a lot more jerseys than that. <laughs> should should be an exciting year in Denver. Rich is currently been a business owner of Barefoot Bronco Woodworking out of Parker, Colorado. Rich, how did you get involved with, with woodworking after you were you were done playing? So I left uh, corporate America for 20 years. I, I ran the sports marketing for Quest, and then we were acquired by CenturyLink. Uh, so, you know, I spent 20 years doing sports marketing within that, the naming rights in Seattle, Seahawks Stadium, the uh, you know NFL deals, NBA deals, MLB deals, NHL deals, college, uh, Olympic deals. Uh, so I, when I left that, I just, you know, I left in uh, March of 2020, and I just wanted to teach myself something new. I'd grown up in my dad's business, so I was comfortable around tools, but I had never done any finer woodworking. So, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a believer you learn by doing. And so the, the business is uh, doing pretty good. I mean, I'm mostly focusing on uh, cutting boards, charcuterie boards. I, you know, I do... I do have a laser that I can, you know, kind of customize uh, messaging on a board, whether it's for a wedding or a, a baby shower or, you know, whatever. Um, so that's kind of how I spend my days. We have a five-acre horse property here in Parker, Colorado, and um, we've got three rescue horses. We've got chickens. We've got honeybees. Uh, so life is good. Uh, and I've you got my shop. Do you ship your stuff all over the country? Can I give out your the I website? Do. Okay. I Guys, do. check it out. It's called barefootbroncowoodworking.com. You can check out all of Rich's uh, work. Rich, you know what? Uh, I, I see on, on, on the screen we're doing a Zoom call. They have the National Sports Center for Disabled People. Is that something you, you're involved with as well? Yeah, I, I currently chair the board. Uh, the program, this program's in Winter Park, Colorado. 
and I, I just, I've been in and around the program since about my second year in Denver. Uh, and, you know, as, as a player, we used to ski in this event that's behind me, um, which was a lot of fun. And the, um, so when the, you know, I, I had served and chaired different boards, uh, Family Tree and um, Special Olympics Colorado and Metro Denver YMCA. But currently this is where I'm, you know, spending the majority of my um, charitable time is uh, making sure that we, uh, we raise enough money that anybody with any disability that wants to be on the mountain, we will be able to accommodate that and, uh, with some piece of equipment um, that will meet their needs. Well, why don't you give out the information just so people want to learn more about it or make a donation because I think that's a great cause. Yeah, so you know, I, I use proceeds from my sales uh, that go to it and then just uh, nsc.org is the, uh, the website. Uh, if you Google it, it should pop up right away. Uh, we have uh, all kinds of athletes and, and skiers uh, all the way up to Paralympians. Um, so it's, uh, it means a lot, you know, uh, to me to give my time. Uh, you know, I, I'm proud to live in Denver and feel very strongly about supporting the community I live in. So. Well, Rich, I want to thank you very much for your time today. We're speaking with Rich Carlos. Rich played nine seasons in the National Football League uh, with the Denver Broncos, Minnesota Vikings, Detroit Lions from 1982 to 1990. We talked to Rich all about being a place kicker in the NFL. He was a barefooted place kicker. The last barefooted place kicker, he was number three. We learned about how him uh, walking on in college and uh, came out and tried out as a pro and kind of earned his way in both ways. And that, that's something that you should be proud of. He also uh, has currently has a business. It's called barefoot Bronco woodworking.com. Check that out. He is also working with the national sports center for disabled. You can check that out as well. Rich, is there anything else you'd like to mention before I let you go? No, it's great. Uh, great to be on with you. I appreciate the opportunity and uh, I hope uh, everyone uh, enjoys this segment. Well, I think so. I thank you very much. And I want to thank you for signing my card. I'll give you a little story. I um, One of my friends was doing a, a contest in terms of opening a pack of cards and just put, put it on uh, TikTok and just show people. And I happened to open a 1989 pack of uh, Topps football cards. And I went down to Salem Willows, which is in Massachusetts on the beach in April. And it was cold as heck. And I opened the pack and one of your cards was in there. And I said, oh, I think I'm going to send it off to Rich to get signed because I don't have one of his autographs. So I want to thank you personally for, for signing that card for me. So see, people do open the, open the cards and get the packs and still get your cards. So that, <laughs> that's what, that's how, it, how we find our way to each other. Very good. Thank you. Thank you very much. I, I appreciate your time and, and it was a pleasure meeting you. All right. Take care. Thank you. So Drew, I hope you enjoyed my interview with Rich Carlos. You know, when I when I knew I was going to talk to him and I learned a little more about that kick, I was like, that's one of the first things I have to ask him just, yeah. just for Drew, because I know that's just going to turn the knife just a little on him. Yeah, just a bit. I mean, and like you said, you know, he's an Ohio guy too. That's like, you know, Steph Curry being born in Akron and going and torching the Cavs in the playoffs. So yeah, it's it always seems that that's what happens, that we always get seem, seemingly killed by somebody who's a local guy. Yeah, we've got his, his thoughts on being a, 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 an Ohio guy and adding to the, the never-ending pain of the Cleveland sports fan because 
Yeah, you, you're the Red Sox fans used to have it. The Boston fans used to have it, but you guys took it over and ran with it. So th- I really th- I want to thank you for that. Yeah, you guys. Well, I mean, you guys and the Cubs fans, you guys only had it in one sport, though, and it was baseball for you guys. Because, I mean, you know, the Celtics, of course, you know, dominated the 60s. You had the uh, Bruins in some great years in the 70s. You had the uh, Celtics again in the 80s, the Patriots after that. You had somebody to fall back on. Chicago, they had, you know, some nice seasons for the Bears in the 40s and 50s. They had the Bulls dominating the 90s. They had those teams to fall back. And even the Blackhawks in the 60s for a bit there. Cleveland has had problem after problem in every single sport. The only thing we have to fall back on is minor hockey. That's about all we really had there. So, and okay, indoor soccer as well. That's no, LeBron. It. Yeah, then LeBron eventually. I mean, once, you know, 2016 came about, then it's like, all right, we finally have that there. But I mean, from 1964 to 2016, we had, uh, what, we had, uh, you know, the AHL Cleveland Barons won a couple of uh, Calder Cups. We had the NPSL's Cleveland Crunch who won a couple of uh, league to, uh, league championships there, but that was it. I mean, when it comes to the big four pro sports, oh, God, we, we did not have much of anything. All right, well, I don't want to run rub salt in the wound. Yeah. <laughs> Rich, Carlos, thank you very much for your interview. We really appreciate your time. I also want to thank Les Wolf for joining us. Les will join us every other week talking about what's going on in the hobby and uh he was a, a, a great to talk to about learning how to protect your collectibles uh, next week uh drew we have jeff hoffer 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 i think but yeah hoffer he uh, I, i'm sorry jeff i really apologize jeff is director of marketing for panini america so we're going to talk to jeff all about what's going on with the hobby panini what their plans are for the national all sorts of cool stuff so Jeff will be joining us. Um, Drew, anything else before we, we close it out? I think we're pretty well covered there. I think we got everything in this week pretty nicely. All right, guys. I want to thank everyone, all our uh, new listeners. Our, our, our numbers are going through the roof, guys. We want to thank all our new listeners and, and our, uh, our old listeners as well. Please, how do you contest, contact us, Drew, if you want to send us an email? Easiest way would be ttmcast at yahoo.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a question for Les, if you have a question for Drew, myself, send it to ttmcast at yahoo.com. I think that's it. We're going to wrap it up. And you're wishing everyone many happy returns. We'll see you next week.